Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, we are continuing our series on home improvement. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, that by wisdom a house is built. How many know that houses just don't show up? They don't just arise. They don't just happen. Like, there is work that goes into building. How many here have done some building of homes before? You know, there's like, from like the beginning of foundation work, site work, all the way up to putting on the shingles. It can be a whole lot of work. They just don't appear. They actually require diligent focus and impact. And, and the same is true not only of our houses, I believe, also of our homes. That for us to, to have homes that reflect the, the, the purpose and love of God, that it requires and takes some effort and some work. And that work requires wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And so we've been thinking about this idea of home improvement because how many know we all live in a home? Whether we're single, whether we're like, you know, a couple, whether we have families, whether the kids have flown the nest. Hallelujah. I mean, just remember those moments like that was like... Like, wow, you know, like it doesn't matter where you are, that we live in these places that are homes, and, and the home provides so much for us. And I believe that, that a good home provides the springboard for us to have effective, uh, to, to live effectively and to flourish in the world. So we've talked about a number of things. Last week, we talked about beautiful places, how beautiful places encourage human flourishing. And uh, we've been doing Wednesday nights kind of a follow-up to what we talk about Sunday mornings. And so we had a great conversation on beautiful places. Uh, Pastor Rachel did an amazing job. We talked about like organizing and, and some different things like that. And so that was a great time. And uh, just so you know, we're going to continue it again this week. So I'm going to share uh, this morning about Beyond the Moment. And there'll be an ongoing conversation on Wednesday. And just so you know, we do have things for the kids, the youth, and the adults. So you can all be a part of it. Uh, but today we're going to talk about Beyond the Moment. How many here ever get caught in a moment and you just kind of like, you act and react out of a moment? Okay, me, good. Anybody else? You got to help me out this morning. Okay, so a couple of years ago, actually it's more than a couple, three, four, five, maybe six years ago, it was back in the minivan days. How many had minivans? We had a Pontiac Montana. It was a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. And, uh, you know, we loved our Pontiac. And one day we pulled into Walmart. It was a warm summer day. So we had the windows down, we pull in, and as we pull into the Walmart parking lot, it happened in Portland, um, just to, to give you all context, pull into the parking lot, and, and as we are, and the windows are down, and all of a sudden, you know, we're slowly getting out, and you hear this noise of, like, friction and dissonance. There's some people yelling at one another and stuff like that, and all of a sudden, we hear a door slam Somebody fire their car up, gun it, and you hear this scraping noise. And then they put it in drive, hit it again, peeling tires, and they take off. And people are yelling. And we, we witnessed a bit of a, this like road rage, hit and runner type thing, and this person takes off. Well, man, I was so caught up in the moment. I, uh, so I, I grew up reading Hardy Boy books. Anybody here read Hardy Boy books? So I, I like, I totally drop into Frank Hardy mode because he was the brains, may not be the brawn, but he was the brains. And so I was like, dude, we're going after him. We got to get this guy's license plate number because he just bolted 
And I'm like, kids, get back in the car. And everybody's in. We slam the doors, and I just, and I fire up. It's a Pontiac, Montana. I think their phrase used to be live for excitement or something like that. And we had excitement. We go flying out of the Walmart parking lot. We are chasing this guy. We're cruising down, trying to get close enough so we can get a license plate number because we want to be good citizens. Can I get a witness on this one? So sure enough, we get to a light, and he stopped at the light. We write down his license plate because we're right behind him. We did our duty. Let's go back and, you know, to the, the person who's been hit. We'll give him the license plate number. So we do that. Get all the way back to the Walmart parking lot. And we're like, hey, just want you to know we got the license plate number of the person. And they're like, oh, oh thanks, but we had it already. And I was like, what? And then you look down on the ground in the front part of the guy's car is laying down on the ground, and they're connected to it, is the license plate. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, wow, all that for what? But, but you know what it's like to be, get caught up in a moment, don't you? Like all of a sudden something happens, you're like, all of a sudden you're in like response mode. Like it, it, it can be this sense of, you know, an event happens, you know, and you're like, oh, and so you know, your first aid response, for those who've done first aid, you, you just jump in there as a first aid responder. Uh, other times, you know, you're just, you, you may panic, you may step back, you're like, oh, this moment all of a sudden seems to overwhelm everything. And often what happens with moments is sometimes we can get caught up in the tyranny of the now. Like the moment becomes so big that, that it's as if this moment is all that there is. And then we begin to, to act with regards to the now. Sometimes when we experience those moments, those senses of urgency, when we begin to try and act to, to, to reduce the angst, and invariably we get hijacked by moments. Anybody here ever been hijacked by a moment? You thought your day was going to be one thing, but then a moment happened, and then your whole day became about that thing. And sometimes you put in all that work to find out that what was it for? They've already got the license plate number. So we get hijacked by moments. Well, today, as, as we think about um, improving the home, I think sometimes our homes get hijacked by moments. Sometimes it can be conflict between spouses, sometimes it can be financial pressures. Um, some, sometimes it can just be life circumstances that seem to arise and you're just like, what do uh, we do? Well, this morning I wanna, as we think around this idea of living beyond the moment, um, my big idea that we're gonna get to as we kinda like land here is that today's habits fuel tomorrow's hopes. That today's habits fuel tomorrow's hopes. And we're gonna begin in Jeremiah chapter 29 and we're gonna read a few verses uh, verse 1, verses 4 through 7, and verse 11. Now, Jeremiah is, is known often as the weeping prophet. He was a young man. He was called by God to proclaim uh, God's word at a time when others didn't always want to hear what he had to say. There, there were moments where they tried to silence him. They, one time they threw him in a, in a, in a near-empty cistern with all the muddy uh, junk in the bottom, and they left him there for days. Um, but ultimately, what Jeremiah is doing is he is writing to a people to help them understand the moment that they were in, and then to help them to and then to help them see beyond the moment. And I think this is so beautiful what Jeremiah does. He's kind of helping people understand: okay, this is the moment you're in, 
but you need to see beyond it because if you can see beyond the moment, you can probably, or, or, or you can actually live differently and you can live better instead of just reacting to what's going on, you can actually plot a course forward so that you might find flourishing. And so as we look at Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, we're going we're gonna to note three important ideas about living beyond the moment. And the first thing that I just want to kind of start about out saying is this, is that our moments can be overwhelming. Our moments can be overwhelming. Life does not always go as we hope or imagine. And sometimes we find ourselves in difficult places. And as we begin reading Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to find out there's a difficult space or moment that's going on for God's people. And so this is how it begins in verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what's going on in this passage is that God's people, uh, through a series of a whole bunch of events, eventually the kingdom Babylon, the, the which is over in what would be modern-day Iraq, uh, Babylon, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came over and uh, attacked the southern kingdom, which is uh, Judah, and he attacked them and then eventually absolutely overcame them. And his strategy, Nebuchadnezzar's strategy when, when conquering nations was to do a brain drain in order to, to, to keep countries that were conquered from rising up again and, and trying to throw off the, the, the empire that's oppressing them. What they would do is they would take all the best, all the brightest. They would take the people who are the leaders and the people of influence from the community and they would uproot them and they would take them all the way back to Babylon and they would begin to educate them and they would begin to overwhelm them with their culture in order that they might begin to assimilate. And so as, as Jeremiah is writing, he's writing to these people that have been uprooted. He's writing to a people that have experienced the, the devastation and, and, and a moment of uncertainty where all of a sudden the home that they knew and the language that they were familiar with, the, the customs and cultures of, of their country, all of a sudden they've been taken over and they have been placed in this in, in, in a foreign country with a foreign language and, 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 and they're just like disoriented. They're, they're like unsure of what do we do next. I'm sure for some of them they, they carried this weight of defeat upon them as if as somehow God had failed. Because sure, surely God should protect his own people and, and, and the people's land. Yet, yet here they are living in Babylon, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. They're not only defeated, they're displaced. And so from that, that there's a distraught, there, there, there's a weight, there's a burden that's upon them. And I'm sure they're absolutely overwhelmed. And for them, it became the thing that they saw. It was the only thing that they saw. Here we are, we're stuck in this place. Yet to these people living in a foreign land, a letter from the prophet Jeremiah, in a sense, a message from home, comes to them with a word of hope. 
And I want you to know, because sometimes in, in, in the place where we're at, we're, we're a little bit overwhelmed by the moments that we're in. Yet the good news is this. And this is the second idea, is that God has a plan beyond the moments that we're in. That God has a plan beyond the moments that we are in. This is what it says in verse 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now this verse 11 is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This message was written for a people who felt like they were overwhelmed by the moment. Yet the reality is, is God has a plan beyond the moment for His people. And I think this is so important because it's the reminder that we do not have to be overwhelmed by the circumstances that we're in because God is not overwhelmed by the circumstances our difficulties are not greater than His destiny for us. He's the God who has plans for us, even when we are in places that we would not prefer to be in. And I know sometimes as we do, as we do home, as we do family, as we do relationships, we come into these things having these ideas and these ideals about what family and what life looks like, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't go according to script. Anybody been there? But the good news is this, is even if it hasn't seemed to go according to script, God still has plans for us. And I love this. His plans for us are good plans. Plans that, that lead to flourishing, plans that lead to life. So even in that difficult place, in the difficult season you may be in, within your home, I want you to know that God has plans to bring you to good. Just breathe that in a moment. It may not feel like things are good around you, but the good news is this, is God's not done yet. He's got plans to bring us to His good. And it's great because it says that His plans for us, I love what it says, I know the plans that I have for you, and these are the plans. These are plans to prosper you. Okay, now in America, we take prosperity, and we start thinking, you know what it means by prosper? God's going to make us rich. Look at your neighbor and say, wouldn't it be nice to be rich? Yeah, somebody, how many of you would just be like, Life would be a little easier with a few extra thousands in the bank. Come on. Okay, none of us? Some of us are like going, yeah, that, that would be nice. 
And, and in our culture, sometimes, you know, we, we have this idea of prosperity gospel. If, if, you can, if you name it, you can claim it. It's yours, right? And so we have this tendency that what God wants us to do is God wants us to be, you know, rich or wealthy. But what's beautiful about this is, is as, as, you, as you kind of think about what's going on here, God says, listen, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you. Now, the word that's used there for prosper means has a sense of prosper of doing well but it's actually often translated in a way that you and i see a little bit differently or we hear differently and the word prosper there is the word shalom which means peace do you know what god's plan for your life and mine is it's to bring us to peace isn't that good that that, that means like in the in the chaos and the anxiety god says listen my plans for you is actually to bring you to a place of peace. And peace is more than just an absence of strife. It's about wholeness. It's about completeness. It's about fullness. Like God has plans for us to to, to help take the broken pieces of our life and make them whole, to take our difficult situations and make them beautiful. Like that's God's plan for you and me. And the way he does it, and we see this as scripture unfolds, is we see this takes place through Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus does is he dies on the cross and he pays the penalty for sin, but not only does he pay the penalty for sin, But through his death and his resurrection, he breaks the power of sin so that that which is broken can be made whole again. Do you know what God's plan for your home and my home is? Is that they would be places where his peace is manifest. How many know that's a good plan? How many are like going, I want to see that plan unfold in my life? Like, my goodness, God says, listen, in the midst of all the chaos and brokenness, because, again, you deal with families, and families can be a little chaotic and, and a little bit broken. God says, listen, you may feel you're in this place, and you think the strategy may be, we need a bail from this place. But God says, listen, I've got a plan. If you will trust me, if you will follow me, I will bring not only just good out of this for you, but I'll make it so that you can know peace. And then he goes on to say, these plans, they're to prosper you, that this peace, not to harm you, not not to bring about evil or ruin, but they're plans to give you hope, to give you hope in a future. Like, I got plans that that are going to begin to breathe hope to you. Now, Now, I love this idea because... So when you look at the word that is used here for hope, so we prosper, the word is shalom or or peace. The word for home, hope has a literal and a figurative meaning. So its figurative meaning is hope. Its literal meaning is a rope or a cord. So it's, it's the idea is this, right? So, so you're, you're in a, have you ever felt like you're a little bit adrift? And you're like just getting blown all over the place. And you're just like, boy, if someone could just throw me a line, something that I could hold on to, hang on to, and maybe pull myself closer to something that's firm. And God says, listen, i got a plan for you. It's it's not only going to to help you experience peace, but I'm going to give you something that you can hold on to even when everything is a little bit chaotic, 
that you can hold on to it so that you can get through it. Many times people give up in the midst of the chaos because they've lost something to hold on to. Lost, lost hope for a marriage. Lost hope for a kid. Lost hope for, for just the, the, the you know, future. And God says, listen, I, I've got a plan for you that's not only for your good, something that's going to bring peace, it's not going to harm you, but it's going to give you something to hold on to so that you can hold on to it no matter what you go through. And the reason he throws us the line is he has a future for us. He has something for us beyond the moments that we are in. And what we have to do, I'm convinced, we have to do this within our homes, is we have to learn not to give in or to give up when moments are difficult. Can I get an amen on that one? Can I get a, oh, help me, Jesus? Because that's one of the things we wrestle with. But I want you to know that our moments, though they may be overwhelming, God has a plan beyond the moment. And thirdly, this hope needs to begin to motivate our daily habits. You see, we need to learn to, to build our homes and grow our families by following Jesus even in the midst of the difficulty because this is what I think. I think like, and I've said this before, but, but having a family, raising a family, this is an incredible act of faith. Because we believe that there's a future. And we need to allow our faith to begin to Im impact our outlook. And, and I think it's great because th this is what happens. Because Jeremiah says, listen, I, I got, God has something he wants to say to you. Say to you th there's a hope and there's a future. And this is what you need to do. This is how you begin your daily practice. And I'm sure all the people are like going, great. You know what we would love in the midst of our discomfort? is for God to take it all away. Like, just put us back in Jerusalem. Like, just, let's get rid of Nebuchadnezzar, and let's just, like, put us back home, because how many know that's the good plan? But that's not what God says. God says this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build houses. I, I, I want you to build houses. I, I, want, you, I want you to settle down. I, I want you to plant gardens. I want you to have kids. I, I want your kids to get married and have kids. And, and I think this is so awesome because everyone's saying, you know, we want to go home. But God's saying, listen, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And you know what you need to do? There's some things you need to do as an expression of that faith that is manifest in your daily living. So go build your house. Go have a family. Put a garden in. And then he goes even beyond just the things that you think you need for you. He goes on to say what you also need to do is you need to pray for the peace of the city that you're in. Like, you, you need to pray, like, Babylon is like the capital. It's the conquering city. And what I want you to do is I want you to begin to pray peace 
over that city. I want you to begin to pray that it would be a place that prospers, that, that you begin to pray that the blessing of God would begin to be manifest on this city. Because And he's just like going, because it's not just about you. It, it's about allowing the blessing of God not only flow to you, but to flow through you. Because when the blessing of God flows through you, it actually makes your life even better. And this is part of this whole idea that, 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 that our hope needs to motivate our daily habits. And we need to build our homes. We need to grow our families. And we need to choose to say, okay, God, even in the midst of the difficulty, we're going to choose to do the right things. Developing daily habits. Why? Because today's habits fuel tomorrow's hopes. And so I want to note quickly three important habits I think every family needs to develop in order to get through or to get beyond the moments they find themselves in, okay? So the first one is this, is we need to develop the habit of clarifying vision. What we have to do is we have to be intentional about seeing beyond the moments that we're in. So what frustrates you in your world right now? How many know that if you focus on what frustrates you, it drains lots of energy? But we have to develop the habit of saying, God, would you give me grace to see beyond where I'm at? To see the thing, that the, the, the plans, the purposes that are bigger than just me in this moment. The question I would ask is, is for every one of us, for every family, for every individual... What is God calling us to? What is His plan for our home, for our lives? Now, Proverbs 29, 18 in the, uh, in, in the King James says this, Without a vision, the people perish. Like, without a vision. But this idea of vision here is more than just our wishes, wants, and whims. Because how many of you have got some wishes, wants, and whims? Right? You're like, I would love this. I would love a maid. How many of you would love a maid? Ooh, like bring that one up. Yeah, I feel that's God's will for my life, right? You know, like we, we, we start, like we, we, we plan and, and sometimes we think I need a vision of what I would like for my life. But the idea of vision here isn't the idea of just what my wishes, wants, or whims. It's really about what God wants. So the NIV will say it this way. It'll say without revelation, without divine insight, Without divine counsel and divine understanding of what God wants for my life, it says the people perish, or in the NIV it'll say they cast off restraint. And the idea of casting off restraint means to let down your hair. I thought that was great. To, to, to live solely in the moment. And I'm trying to let down my hair every once in a while, and it just it doesn't work. Right? Dwayne does too. Um, but, but the idea of letting down your hair in the Bible is, to, is, is just to give in to the moment to live wildly according to your whims and wants and wishes of the moment. And what happens is if we can't see beyond what we're in, we'll always act according to what we're in. And I'm convinced that every family needs to have a vision. Every couple needs to have a vision. Every individual has, needs to have a vision about what does God want for their life. Did you know that God knew what he was doing when he made you. And he didn't just know what he was doing when he made you, he, he created you because he has a purpose for you. 
And the, you will feel the, the most full in your life as you live the purpose God created you for. Did you know that God has a purpose for every marriage? In the ceremony, we recognize, we'll say the words that Jesus quoted. What God joined together, let no one separate. What God joined, how many know that God has even been at work in the relationship? You might be saying, but I wasn't near God when this relationship started. That's okay. God's always been nearer to you than you were to him. And he's been working and moving because he doesn't just see moments. He sees the whole picture. God knows what he's doing. What does God want? And if we don't have that vision, it's amazing how quickly people will give up on things. Because the moment becomes bigger than the mission. Bigger than the purpose. I'm convinced that God wants to give our families, us as individuals, couples, that God wants to give us vision. So when you read uh, uh, Jeremiah 29 and verses 13 and 14, it says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you. Now, with me for a moment. Here are people who grew up knowing that Jerusalem was the place where God's temple was. Like when you needed to hear from God, you know where you went? You went to Jerusalem. When you had a sacrifice that you had to make, whether it was for, for a thank offering, whether you had to, you know, for, for prayer, whether it was for, inter, you know, for, for covering of sins, you would take your sacrifice to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the place where you could connect with God and you can hear from God and you can meet God. How do you think the people feel when all of a sudden now they're in Babylon? God, how can I hear from you? God, how, how, can, how can I know what your will is? God, how can I get my junk dealt with? Because I can't get back there. And God says, listen, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you're like, I don't know what those are. That's, that's okay. God says, listen, that's okay. If you will seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. Okay, how many of you as, as, a, as an adult... And you, with your kids, you played hide-and-seek. Especially when they were really small. And, and, and you, you, you made yourself findable. You know what I mean? Okay, sometimes you didn't. I know, go find daddy. You're like in some, you know, shut-off room they could never get to, taking a nap, right? But, but generally, when you played with them, it was kind of like, you know, you're hiding behind something can't obscure you. And you did it because the goal is you want your kid to be able to find you. I want you to know God wants to be found by you. God wants to share with you the purposes and plans that he has for you. So a habit that we have to develop is clarifying our vision. What is our vision? And you know what? You'll find out that as the seasons change, there's going to be some, some shifting and moving with the vision. And, and it's not necessarily just what I want, but what is it God saying to us as a couple? And I believe couples need to pray together and I need, they need to talk about it. What is God trying to unfold in our lives? What is God's plan for our kid? How do we help our kids flourish and become the people God created them to be? Because without that vision, 
We'll get overwhelmed by the moments because that's all we'll see. Secondly, we need to take the next step where we begin to act toward our future hope. If, this is the, if the vision is the type of home we're going to have, what's the next step? And, and I think what we have to do is we have to learn to live in line with our future hope rather than just within our present circumstances. James will say this, faith without action is dead. Faith moves and acts in the direction of its hope. And we have to learn to battle through our moments rather than being hijacked by them. Now, I'm sure you, like me, you love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we're like, it is so beautiful. I love the green pastures. I love the flowing water idea. I can see myself there and I love it. But then it goes on to say this. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Did you see what it says? Even though I walk through, everybody say through. I want you to know, to get to the place that God is leading and directing us, there are things that we have to go through. The trouble is, is sometimes in the midst of what we're going through, it feels like the valley of the shadow of death. We, we can't see the sun. We're not feeling like we got the orientation we need. We're overcome by the darkness, and we just say, you know what, I'm done. And many times people give up before they get through. And what we have to do is we have to be a people that are actually disciplined to say, you know what, I am going to follow Jesus through my moments rather than giving up. And, and this requires discipline to keep taking the next step, even when times are tough. This is the idea of developing disciplines. I remember hearing once that discipline is about learning to delay gratification. Instead of just wanting to be gratified now, I'll delay feeling good now so that I can feel good later. What we often do is we seek to feel good now, and then later we're like going, dude, I totally regret that. But discipline says, I'm willing to delay gratification to get through. Now, discipline takes work, and, and it's, it's not easy. Um, I shared this Wednesday night, and I'll just share it again because I think it's kind of fun. So at the beginning of May, I was on Facebook. How many know Facebook is just a dangerous place? It was dangerous for me this time, scrolling through it. And I saw that St. Jude Hospital was doing 3,000 push-ups in May. It was a challenge. I have a 14-year-old boy who's a strapping young buck that needs to burn off energy. So I look at him and I say, hey, Matt, you want to try doing 3,000 push-ups in May? He's like, sure, Dad. I'm like, okay, let's drop and go. Like, we started, and because I'm, I'm a math guy, and so I'm like, okay, there's 31 days in May, 3,000, that means 100 a day with one day off. I'm like, I got this. Okay, with no recollection that I have not done push-ups in decades. Um, and, and so I was like, okay, Matt, let's go. Let's do this. And we're going to do this a little bit. We'll do it incremental. We'll, we'll like build. So we'll do them in sets, 
because I can't do 100 straight out. Because I haven't done push-ups in a while. I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm like, we'll start with 10. So I did 10 push-ups as set number one. Okay, that's, how many know it's 10 and 3,000? There's a big delta difference. Okay, so I got six sets of 10 in, and I was done. I'm like, oh, I'm hurting in places, and I'm just like, this isn't good. And then I woke up the next day, and I was ridiculously sore. And I'm like, okay, Matt, we got to do our push-ups today. And day two, I did five sets of 10, because that's all I could do. And I was sore, and I was whiny. Ask Pastor Dwayne. I'm like, I'm so sore. I'm such a fool to do this. And then, and, and then day three, I got up to 60. Okay, so that means that I had, what is that, 60 and 60. So I had 170 push-ups when I should have been at 300. And I'm like, going, oh, my goodness. And I was ridiculously sore. Day four, I'm like going, you know, I ain't being paid for this. Let's just quit, right? Like, why put yourself through this pain? What a pain. And so I was like, okay, I'm, you know, but I was like, I mean, no, because I told my son we should do 3,000 push-ups. And how many know that as a dad, you're trying to say, okay, son, watch your dad be weak. You know, like, you're like okay, we're going to get through this, right? So, so I kept doing it. I got to tell you, I've been doing push-ups every day. I've done more push-ups in the last, what day, what day is it today, 26th? No, 28th. Okay, I've done more push-ups in the last 28 days than I have my entire life. Okay, I'm pretty sure of it. Okay, and you know what it means every day? It means every day I have to get down on the floor, whether I feel like it or not, and do a push-up, and then a second and do a set, and then do another set, and do another set. I want you to know that I am doing it at this place right now not because it feels happy, good, or exciting. It is just a brutal act of the will. You do it because it's good. And you know what I have found? This, is, this has been the crazy thing. It's helped me more than I realized it would. I was, telling, I, was, I was telling some people that I used to sit and I'd get back pain. And so I don't, I don't get that back pain simply because I'm doing push-ups. It's a total side benefit, which is a beautiful side benefit. And so if you have lower back pain, start doing your push-ups. I'm just kidding. Talk to your doctor first. I am not a doctor. This is not real medical advice, please. But, but what, what's interesting about it is Discipline often gets to the place you know it's the good thing to do, and it comes down to a brutal act of the will rather than whim, want, or wish. It's just going back to this idea of you're choosing to love, you're choosing to act in faith. Saying, you know what, I'm not going to let this moment dictate my stuff, but I'm going to choose how I'm living. And I think part of that, the habits, we need to develop habits where we identify, okay, you know what, 
if this is where God's calling us to, I need to clarify what's the next step. I got a vision of where I'm going, and then I need to say, okay, well, what's the next step I'm going to work on? And I'm just going to keep working on that step until I get that step as a part of my regular rhythm before I take the next step. The third thing, third habit, is we need to build margin into our life. Build margin into our lives. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down, or they consume all they have. Foolish people have a tendency to consume everything in the now. They, they, they have a tendency to say, you know what? Everything, for this, everything I have is really for this moment. And they don't think beyond the moment. Now, I think in our homes, there are two areas specifically we need to create margin in to get through the tyrannical now. And one is in the area of finances. The other is in the area of time. I think that as God's people, we need to learn to create margin in our finances. And there's a really simple discipline. Um, living on less than you make I know that sounds funny, um, but it's amazing how many times in our lives we over-leverage ourselves, where we get to the place where we're living on more than we make, and we think, because if I don't have this now, I'm not, I'm not going to survive. I want you to know everybody here can live on less than they're making. I don't know if you've noticed this about America, but we have an abundance problem. We eat too much, we buy too much, we store too much. We just have a lot of much, and we keep doing it. And, and part of this idea is, is, you know what, we have to create margin in our lives, because have you ever noticed that a, a financial event crisis ends up often being a relationship crisis, a, 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 an emotional crisis? one of the top three reasons for divorce in America is financial. And that is because people have gotten way, they've gotten way over their skis financially. And what debt is, is debt is a certain obligation for an uncertain future. And, and th this is why I think that we have to create margin, and, and sometimes there, there isn't the margin in our life for the moments that happen. And so when the moments happen, we're just overwhelmed by it. I think the other way, thing we have to do is we have to create margin in our time. So one of the challenges I see in many families today is the, the, is the struggle, the challenge, the trap of overscheduling. There's this overscheduling, and so there's no time for rest or connection. And often it's, it's, it's moved by... Um, guilt, and I'll also say culture. Sometimes we allow our schedules, especially for parents with kids, we allow children to dictate the schedule because we don't want to deprive our children of anything. Just, just, a, just a heads up. Um, well, let me back up. We think we didn't have certain stuff as a kid, and so we want to make sure our kids have it. And so what we end up doing is we, we sign up our kids for all sorts of things, and our lives are chaotic because there's way too much stuff on the schedule. 
and we're running here and there. And then all of a sudden, there, there's, there's, there's stuff, drama that rises up from the schedule. So for example, anybody here ever on your way to church? Your spouse or your kids aren't going at the speed you wish they were. And all of a sudden, it becomes a moment of tension in the car on the way to church. I know that never happens here. It's different people, right? But what that is, it's just the sign that, you know what, we, we don't even have the margin in our lives that when, when something is off, we're like, we're so emotionally wrapped up in it that, that sometimes it can begin to fray things. And then it's compounded when we overschedule where the schedule is so tight that you have to get to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. And we say we're doing it for the kids. I'll just say I don't think it's beneficial for the kids. Um, I have lots of opinions on this one, but I'm not going to share my opinions. Um, but I would just simply say do not allow guilt to determine your schedule. How do you know if your schedule is a little over tight? I'm going to share one. Now, this is not for anyone here. This is for the people who are going to watch this later. How do you know when your schedule is a little over tight? Is when the place you're looking for margin is community life or church life. Oh man, it's been such a busy week. Oh, I just need a break. So you know what? I'm just not going to go to church this Sunday. Now, I, like I said, this isn't for you guys. This is for the people who are watching this later because they were just tired and busy. Um, but you know the temptation, don't you? I just, I'm so tired, I just, I just need some rest. And so what we do is we say the place that we're going to pull back from is the place where we connect with our creator as well as we connect with his family. And I think that when we do that, what we're doing is we're actually putting into our children a value that says church is not as important or time with God or God's people is not as important as other things. So philosophy of life for Dave and Rachel. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and lose their family spiritually? What does it gain? Parents, we have the responsibility to shepherd the souls of our children. And if our schedules are so tight and we're running this way and that way, trying to make sure they're meeting all these things, and then we're so tired, it says, you know what, I, the, the place where people can connect with their creator and they can learn from God's word, and we're saying, you know what, I just, we don't have time for that. I think what we're doing is we are robbing some of the foundation that brings life to our family. Three important habits. Clarify vision, take the next step, build margin into your life. You see, today's habits fuel tomorrow's hopes. Yeah, our moments can be overwhelming, yet God has a plan beyond the moment, and so we need, our hope needs to motivate our daily actions. I'm going to invite Pastor Dwayne to come on up and the worship team. Okay, that's Pastor Dwayne. Oh, no, Jimmy's coming too. We get the boy band to close. This is good. Um, 
Pastor Duane mentioned earlier that today is Pentecost. This is why Pentecost is such an important day for us. Because it's the reminder that these things that we're talking about get to be empowered in our lives through the Spirit of God Himself. That God is working in us and, and God wants to work with us to allow the Spirit of God to, to bring about the best and for flourishing. You see, Pentecost is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that the followers of Jesus could live the life they were created for. It was Jesus who told his followers, wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as we learn to live beyond the moment, part of it is learning to lean into the presence of God. Because it's His presence that strengthens us. It's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that directs us. And that gospel working in us is His Spirit helping us follow and live out His truth. So my challenge to you is to live beyond the moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wrestling with moments in your relationship, in your family, in your home. And it could just be the type of season we're in. It, it could be a, a whole sorts of things. And you would just simply say, you know, God, I just need, I need your help. I want you to know the Spirit of God is here to help us. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for your word that brings life. And Lord, you want us to live beyond the moment. And so, Lord, we're just asking that, Lord, your spirit would meet us and help us. Lord, I thank you that you have a plan beyond the moment. And so we put our hope and our trust in you. And just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many would just simply say, you know what, I'm in the midst of a moment where I just need God's strength and I need his wisdom. I need to discover his plan beyond this. If that's you, just raise your hand. I see those hands. Is there anyone else? Lord Jesus, you see every one of these hands. You see every heart. You see every situation. And God, I just ask that your peace would just begin to meet. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to, sense, uh, to provide a sense of purpose and destiny. That, Lord, you would begin to bring about wholeness. Even in the midst of the chaos, that, Lord you would provide the strength for each one to live beyond the moment that they are in. Lord, I thank you that you have good things for us. And so, God, we look to you, we trust you, and we wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen.